welcome to episode 44 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France, and to my north, broadcasting live from ABBA's now cobweb-free recording studio, is Dr. Lee Quessence. How are you doing, Doc? Very well. Um, one of my favourite places to be, the frozen north, mm-hmm. um, as you can possibly imagine, because I, 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 don't, I don't smell nearly so bad here. No, no, uh, sure. And... Um, this obviously being one of the most superbly equipped studios of the um, the 1970s and, uh, and early 1980s. Yes, yes. Recently brought out of retirement, of course. Um, so I've heard. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I got wind of the fact that this is sort of probably my, my, my last chance to, to have a good look around before it gets pressed, pressed back into service again. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been stroking the desk. Um, and I've been trying to resist the temptation to lick the tape recorder. Now, obviously, obviously, you're aware that they've already released uh, a couple of uh, songs from their upcoming album, so it's all recorded. Um, any sign of Agnita? She's the one that's always always interested me. Yeah, um, there's no sign of anybody actually. Mm. Um, I, I, I I suspect they've gone further up the mountain to a log cabin to be Swedish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none more Swedish than Abba, surely. Um, well, no. Um, I, I mean, it's it would be one of those fascinating questions to debate someday, wouldn't it? Who is more Swedish, hypocrisy <laughs> or Abba? Absolutely, yes. You know, which is the most Swedish album of all time, Abba Gold or Into the Lights Bane? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, Storm of the Lights Bane, before we, before we get any, any nasty letters, Storm of the Lights Bane by the mighty Dissection, of course. If you have an early CD pressing, um, as our good friend did, Straw of the Lights Bane. What? <laughs> That's great. Is that real? Yeah, yeah I missed that. Yes. That's great. Um, yes. what, what, what's their fabulous, fabulous song? Like a truly epic, um, melodic death classic. Something to do with angels. Could, could you be referring to Where Dead Angels Lie? Oh, what a song. I'll, I'll drop that in right here. What a song that is! Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Do, do you know the story of the of the poor fellow that was kind of the front man of uh, dissection? Um, the poor fellow who is—is is, is this the poor fellow who went to prison for murdering a homosexual for a laugh? Correct. Exactly. Yes. Yes. J- John right, not, not. John Notzveld. I want to. I think that's his name. Um, I, I, I may be butchering the pronunciation, but yes, you, you know. By all accounts, a terribly mentally ill individual murdered a homosexual because he was homosexual, um, went to prison and ultimately took his own life. Quite a sad tale, really. But what fucking music we're talking about? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you've ever got this impression. Um, That track in particular and a ton of other dissection stuff as well. but um, where dead angels lie, I always imagine it being like that. 
the national anthem for a future imaginary Sweden where death metal is the official state religion. Yeah, sure. I mean, for, I mean, for my money, every, every time Sweden, you know, play football, it should be the national anthem, shouldn't it? Where dead angels lie. Good God, that would that would get that would get get them up for the fucking game, wouldn't it? Definitely. Good, good lord. Um, video game update. How do you fancy that? Definitely. Haven't had one of those for ages. It's been a while, I think. I can't remember what the last one was. It might have been Crash Bandicoot. Um, I'm going to talk about God of War. Are you familiar with this franchise, Doc, at all? Um, You've mentioned it in the past. um, Because I think we played a game once where uh, you gave me the titles of some video games and you you asked me to tell you what I thought the game was about. (laughs) and I believe I was wrong four times out of four. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, any memory of, of what God of War might be? Uh, well, um, I believe I said it sounded like some sort of like world-building, effectively, you are God type game. Probably something ah, like, yes. like Risk or um, Diplomacy or something uh, sure. but on a computer where yeah. you got to bunch of countries and you gave them different natural resources and you gave them different weapons and you pressed a button and watched them fight yes and and, and for anybody joining us from the 21st century you know we're talking about um you know games like maybe command and conquer um what what would another famous one be i think there's one called black and white we're talking about god games that's the genre in video games actually doc um right that's what they're called. Uh, but no, it is not. I mean, that's, that's a perfectly logical guess, but it is not one of those. God of War uh, started life back on the PlayStation 2, I believe. Um, it's an action-adventure, hack-and-slash, um, full, full-throttle, bloodthirsty, violent game. Um, you play... A, the, the, the title character is called Kratos, um, and he's a, he's a really, really angry young man. Um, his wife <laughs> <laughs> his wife has died at the hands of the gods, I believe. Zeus was certainly involved. In two minutes, in two minutes, I'll explain why that elicited such mirth from <laughs> my uh, from my mouths. <laughs> um, carry on. Um, it, it's it, it, it's kind of um, a, a vengeance tale. So I, I think Kratos was a god, um, was stripped of his godly powers, and then you kind of have to work back towards regaining your godly powers to take vengeance for the death of your wife. It's obviously, it's all set in kind of Greek mythology, so you meet gorgons and cyclopses, um, you know, centaurs and things like this along the way. All rapidly good fun, brilliant. Um, I think we're up to game eight in, this, in the franchise now. Um, I would say the first... The first... The first six are absolutely sto- are absolute stone cold classics. I love God of War, but we're talking here about God of War 2018. We're talking about a reboot, Doc. We're talking about a kind of a reimagining of the franchise. Can you imagine possibly what they might have done to this kind of rollicking, fun, arcade-style, action-packed adventure game? What, what might they have done? In this modern age, oh, let me stroke my chin for three or four. Have they given it a dark backstory? Well, my words that I've written here: a dark, gritty reimagining. Get 
fucked. Honestly, Doc. What? Mm. Yawn, yawn, yawn. It is so beautiful to look at. You know, obviously, graphically, it is far superior than anything that's come before. But um, can I take a guess? What? Can I take a guess? Has a great deal of graphics power gone into rendering the three-day stubble on the main character's chin? Oh, he's got a lovely beard. He's got an absolutely lovely beard. Yeah, you're quite right. But Because now he looks quite Viking. Before, if my memory is correct, he was clean-shaven. But they've, kind of, they've transposed the action from Greece, from ancient Greece, to, to the ancient Norse lands. Um, um, I wonder, could this be influenced at all by the popularity of a particular movie franchise that's, <laughs> that's been about? I wonder... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it is so cynical. Um, and crucially, they've just sucked all of the fun out of it. Um, even mechanically, you know, in the past, you get to a cutscene, and if you weren't interested in the story, you could, you know, you could have player agency and hit X, hold down the X button and say, cutscene, be gone. You know, and, and, and just move on to the move on to the next action sequence. But no, this story that they want to tell, Doc, it's so important. It's so important that these five or six minute cutscenes that last seem to last forever are unskippable. It's the most nauseating modern video game concept. Our story is so precious. It's so vital. You must be so hooked and engaged by it. We're not even going to give you the option to, to, to skip it or fast forward it. Get fucked, game developers. Honestly, what are they thinking? I'm, I'm going to backtrack um, probably a good 23 or 20... Yeah, probably a good 24 years now. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've, we've discussed this in private conversation before. Um, Andrew Collins... End of year review. And I'm going to say this is the year 1997 we're talking about. Uh, and um, listeners, uh, sort of very, very quick process over this. Uh, Andrew Collins used to uh, be a journalist for New Musical Express um, in the 1990s. And amongst many other, one of the things the NME did was a review of the year for their final issue of the mm. year. One of the columns in the review of the year was the future of rock and roll. And Andrew Collins' kind of job, um, his, his, his annual contribution to this, was to start his article by saying, rock and roll is dead and the future is dot, dot, dot. I yes, think probably I, his most... Oh, sorry, Doc, I, I, maybe I'm going to step on your toes here, but I seem to remember him doing one where he said the, the future is stand-up comedy. Yeah, um, I think uh, probably one of his most lasting ones is um, rock and roll is dead and the future is comedy. And he was attempting to make the case that all of the vitality and improvisation and basically the live experience that you used to go and watch bands for, um, all of that, all of the reasons that you ever used to go to go and see a band, because now going to see a band is really, really boring. Yeah. Uh, and all of that vitality and all of that unpredictability and the chance of some brilliance and the chance of the wheels really coming off and you're getting to see a good roaring fire, um, then if that's what you're looking for now, you should go and see stand-up comedy. Sure, yeah. Um, there's, maybe, maybe he thought that going and seeing gigs was so boring because he, he, he was writing reviews for bands that were covered in the NME. Maybe he should have gone and started writing for Terrorizer, Doc. What do you reckon? 
Oh, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, if I had to go and watch Gene and Shed Seven um, and Travis and Muse for my day job, I'd probably end up hating the fuck out of having to watch live bands as well. Ah, yeah. um, um, but um, another one he did was Rock and Roll is Dead and the Future is Video Games. Mm-hmm. And he made a very salient point. Um, it's never been salient enough to me to to motivate me to really put the time and effort into getting into video games. Oh God, that sounds precious, doesn't it? Woe is me. So, so, so crushed is my, so crushed is my life and soul. Um, yeah. I can't summon up the motivation to really like grip my teeth and get my head down and force myself through this onerous, activity that actually everyone else in the world thinks is really good fun yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just can't bring yourself to get to the end of sonic 2 doc what are you thinking <laughs> um but what i was greatly impressed with was that his 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 thesis on this was that the big problem in in in, 19, in in the then almost future of 1995 we'll say um the problem was going to be was that when you bought a record or went to um, see a movie, um, you didn't get a chance to interact with the plot. Uh, you mm-hmm. effectively had to watch, listen to, read the thing that the creator told you to. Um, and video games were going to change that forever um, because, and it, um, to, to, to sort of um, invert a, uh, um, a punk axiom, um, this is happening with your permission. Um, yeah. and, stuck with me for a really long time and I've never quite been able to get out of my head um well you know obviously um the um the very when 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 DVDs first came out the very silly phrase interactive media was popular for a while Uh Uh Um, and then that went away um but this idea that um the future was going to be some medium um which would um you just use the expression permit you agency um, within the piece of media that, that, that you're engaged with was obviously going to be the future. And that, that seemed perfectly logical to me. Um, and it was literally a matter of time before time got called on all of the stuff that I was into. Um, and that's why it's doubly interesting, a bleak stroke depressing to me when you start talking about something like the game you've just been talking about. Yeah. Um, and apparently, you know, sort of 24 years ago, um, this is, this was the very beginning of the medium whose destiny was to completely usurp novels and movies and records. Sure. Um, and somehow it's ended up being a sort of crap copy of a novel, a bleak yeah. stroke movie. Stroke. Yeah. Oh, and your use of the of the word crap there is very interesting because, you know, I get sick and tired of reading kind of games journalists bleating on about the, like the quality of writing and acting in it, it just seems it seems to me these these motherfuckers have never seen a decent film in their fucking life. If they think this stuff is quality in terms of like the writing and and, and, and performances, I, I literally don't know what they're dribbling on about. Um, yeah, it, it's a great shame, Doc. Listen, I think we need to move on because check out this, Doc. I've done something absolutely extraordinary. I've decided that the episodes aren't long enough and that we need to include. A new feature. What do you think about that? Um, what a brilliant. <laughs> um, so I'm dropping this on the dock. 
on the fly. So, you know, if you, if you haven't got an answer here, Doc, it's fair enough. But be prepared next um, time. Um, oh, um, can I remind you, I believe four episodes ago, um, the discussion topic came up and you pretty much asked me, um, what the fuck do you see in progressive rock then? What's so great about it? And you went on to say, because as far as I'm concerned, it's too long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it takes long to get anywhere. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it, 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 art imitates fiction. Art imitates reality. Here we go. Um, so here's the new section. What have we been listening to this week? Um, I just thought it'd be interesting, you know, just to chat about any 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 music that we we might have enjoyed over the past seven days between recordings, or well, actually two or three days sometimes between recordings. Um, so I'll kick it off, Doc, to give you a little bit of thinking time. Um, this last few days, I've been absolutely obsessed with Doom Sword. Absolutely wonderful. You're familiar with them, aren't you, Doc? I'm not even sure I am. Doom um, I mean, I'm... I'm guessing Scandinavian melodic power metal of some description. Well, now, this is very interesting, isn't it? Now, I'm looking at Encyclopedia Metallum as, as we speak. Um, the genre of music is epic, heavy, oblique stroke, doom metal. Uh, our favourite thing here, lyrical themes. We're talking fantasy, <laughs> history, mythology and war. Um, Not darkness. No darkness, no darkness, just those four. Oh, I love um, them already. And <clears throat> what's interesting about them, that you know, that they, they, they kind of they, they sing a lot about Vikings, they like to sing about England being invaded by Vikings. Um, but they hail from Italy, so they're, 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 they're quite mysterious, really. Um, still active. Apparently, their first album was released in 1999, the last one in 2011, and they churned out five albums in that time. Still active, but we haven't seen an album in 10 years. So whether they'll ever actually, you know, deliver another album is, is open to debate. Um, albums, <coughs> album titles here. We've got Doom Sword is their first one. Resound the Horn. Let Battle Commence. My Name Will Live On. And The Eternal Battle. What, I'll tell you what I love about them, Doc. It's a, an absolute perfect fusion of doom, power metal, and just a, just kind of a slight sprinkling of good old fashioned new album. Um, you know, it's it, it's doomy, but it's not crushingly slow, which I always have problems with. You know, I mean, I can't do St. Vitus. You know, that it's just too slow for me. Um, <laughs> Absolutely great. Any, anybody out there, go and check out Doom Sword. Let me try and find a track title to, to tantalise you with. And, and, and maybe this is the one, the one that I'll drop in at this point. Um, oh, yeah. It's track two from Resound the Horn. It's called Onward into Battle. Absolutely brilliant, Doc. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Any thoughts, or have I dropped this on you too? You know, with, with too short notice. 
No, um, I can tell you exactly what I've been listening to. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, as you can probably imagine, I've been um, reviewing my Slayer in uh -huh. preparation for this project. Yeah. Um, I have been listening to um, an album called AK Note um, by Kohara Akiko, which mm -hmm. is some more of my beloved um, late 80s Japanese city pop, um, yeah. or, um, which I loved a bit. Yeah. And Doc, if you can send me a link to like a YouTube of that, then I can I can drop a bit in here, so you know, so the listeners can, you know, can get a frame of reference of, of what you're talking about. Because I would imagine that most people have never heard this stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and I would um, struggle to find it. <laughs> Let's be fair. Um, so um, I can do that. Yeah. Good man. Um, Honestly, sort of now the um, now the summer is coming to an end and the morning is becoming chill. Um, I I feel the need for something to put me in a slightly lightweight mood first sure. thing in the morning. Yeah. Um, I don't mind uh, I don't mind caning the metal when I'm on my way home and my day's work is done um, oh. and I might have a couple I might have a couple rage issues to work out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, um, probably the idea of having to take the train um, and then um, going to work and sort of um, striding down the aisles between the desks at work, um, like kind of um, drawing an air sword out of its scabbard and whirling it round above my head. Um, <laughs> it, might, it might not set a good tone for the day. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's what I've been listening to. Brilliant. I am going to listen to Doomsaw. I also need to follow up. Uh, prompted by uh, last week's comments, um, I pulled out Age of Panic by Cro-Mags as well. Oh, oh yeah, of course, from, from, our, from our friend Dave Spence. That's right. Um, an album that I don't believe I've listened to in the better part of a quarter of a century. Yeah. How do you find it, Doc? It's amazing how the memory cheats. It sounds nothing like I remember. It sounds much more metal than I remember it sounding. Yeah, I mean, my memory of Cro-Mags is kind of it's kind of more crust than metal. But am I wrong? No, you're not. But it's just got it's got far more. It, it just sounds and feels far more metal than I. Um, oh yeah. I don't mean to say it is actually metal, but it's yeah. just got far more uh, far more of a metal component in it than I thought was probably decent for hardcore band for East Coast hardcore bands to admit to in those days. Mm. review for another it's it's a, a thing for another day um because it's prompted me to go back and revisit some more ec hardcore 
um, and just see see what I make of it after, in some cases, a very, very long gap. Doc, topic time, I reckon. Now, normally, as you know, I give you a number between like one and five, one and six, whatever. But I, I, I'm going to make an executive decision this time. And it's because I've already mentioned ABBA. Um, so are bands ever too old to continue either performing or recording, Doc? What do you make about this one? Very, very often. Yeah. Very, very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, I, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly controversial that children are more imaginative than grown-ups. Mm. And the more grown-up grown-ups get, the less imaginative they get. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with myself because um, I can criticise myself without a fear of retribution. Um, I became aware shortly before my 30th birthday that creatively I had shot my load um, and there was nothing left. And Mm. it didn't matter how long I sat and noodled and doodled or scribbled or whatever, I didn't have a note of music left in me. I blessed this moment of insight um, and I decided at that moment I was not going to attempt to embarrass myself in public or in front of bandmates um, anymore and I retired. You know, the, that's a very insightful moment for you. And I would argue something that most people never truly experience, you know, because most people do kind of flog the dead horse for, for far too long, don't they? I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, you know, I, I was guilty of this. Um, you know, just, just just that desire to keep playing in bands, even though really the creative well had well, had, had well and truly run dry. Um, but you know, it, 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 it is difficult to kick a habit. That's the problem, isn't it, Doc? It is difficult. Um, it was an easier decision and an easier insight to come to for me than most people, because I hope I can be honest about this. My well was never that deep in the first place. Mm. Um, in the space of about 10 years, um, I played in a ton of different musical projects. I made a ton of different records and different recordings and played in a bunch of people's different projects. Um, and I was conscious of the fact that if I was not running on fumes, I was running on a kind of not not a 50cc honda tank but more like a harley davidson tank yeah um, and um in other words all i had to do was take the top off and look inside and i could see how dry the tank was yeah yeah um if you um, are blessed with being an extremely creative individual um that realization must be more difficult to come by and must be harder to deal with um i don't doubt um, you know, I, I can think of a few examples of people who can continue to produce extremely creative work into their 50s and 60s. Um, there are no shortage of people who will tell you that, um, for instance, uh, off the top of my head, Peter Gabriel didn't even start doing good stuff until he was 35. Right. That's the one example I can think of at the moment. Um, there are many. Uh, so, I mean, I'm perfectly willing to go along with um, let's say Miles Davis' best material was still in front of him um, after his 30th birthday, so, you know, after the year 1970. I think people Not- reference the Beatles from time to time when these kind of conversations crop up, but that, that doesn't ring true to me because, I mean, there's no doubt there was huge progression in the Beatles' output, you know, whilst, whilst they were active, but they were active for such a brief period of time. It's got nothing to do with their age, has it? It's got nothing to do with their age. And I mean, the um, uh, 
once again, I, I think you'd have to be a very specific kind of diehard Beatles fan, not to say that Let It Be was scrapings off. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's anyone's favourite Beatles album now, is it? Oh, well, it's a good question. I mean, my, my father, bless his heart, you know, he he, he was um, absolutely firm in his assertion that the Beatles had never written a bad song. You know, it, 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 <laughs> he was deluded, shall we say, when it comes to the Beatles. Um, I mean, you, you get those kind of diehard fans. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's possible to find someone who will tell you that Arsenal have never once played, played a bad game. For, you know, um, <laughs> who, who will tell you, you, you can find people who will say the only reason Manchester United ever lost is because the ref was against them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you can find those people. Mm. Um, but uh, I mean, since, since we're talking about a, a band that I'm not greatly invested in, um, but who I've tried to study for their political and historical significance. Um, I mean, it, and it, it's 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 funny that nearly every Beatles album um, has got like um, its own fans, both within and without. See what I did there? Very both good. Within and yeah, I, I nearly applauded uh, then. I, I had to fight the urge to applaud. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Beatles fandom. Mm. Um, so um, the women, my mom's age. Um, they all like Love Me Do and all of that kind of stuff. Um, all of the older guys in my factory or in the factories I used to work in who used to be mods, they all love the Revolver album and Paperback Writer and Taxman. One, two, three, four. <laughs> One, two. Let me tell you how it will be There's one for you, nineteen for me All of the old hippies um, love the White Album. Um, and I think um, old, old music journalists and old cultural critics love Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, and I think you can throw in, you know, like psychonauts like myself, you know, and my fellow psychonautical explorers, you know, we, we, we're into uh, Sergeant Pepper, you know. Um, but I mean, you know, like, even that is an album of literally two completely different halves. Um, you have got the really bold experimental proto-prog stuff, like, within you and without you.
Yeah. Um, and then you've got like fucking 40s cheese musical schmaltz, like yeah. lovely Rita Meter Mango or whatever yeah, that's yeah, called. Yeah, In the modern age, Doc, you know, that, that, that's what playlists are for, my man. Yeah, um, but uh, it's <clears throat> it's fascinating for me to, to look at that album as a piece of work and try to work out, and it's, um, please don't point me in the direction of any tedious, over-documented Beatles biography. I've got no interest in that shit. Mm. Um, I'm trying to imagine I've come to this album for the first time and it's obviously I can't imagine it but I can I can role play it as well as as well as I can I've bought this thing because it's the hot new album or I already like the Beatles Mm -hmm. and I put it on I'm trying to work out what the hell I'm supposed to make of it because I mean it it really does go from like just about as way out as rock and roll could get in 1967 um, and then, as I say, then it, it, it veers into like this appalling kitchen sink melodrama and you've got She's Leaving Home or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins Silently closing her bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more, she goes down. And then it's got this, like, um, when I'm cleaning windows, like, <laughs> music hall crap in it. And I, and I <laughs> Honest, honestly, listeners, all you have to do is mention the Beatles, and it just, the, the, the doc just gets more and more wound up. It's so brilliant. <laughs> it's the frustration of um, studying a thing for a long time and never being able to see what it is that other people see. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm literally in Askins at trying to explain their popularity and the level of influence. I, honestly, to this day, I can't detect what influence they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you, you, I, you, you I, mentioned this before on the podcast, I think. Yeah, uh, oh. I, I mean, con- considering, uh, you know, you ask people um, to give you three, uh, like, three adjectives um, surrounding the Beatles, and they will say legendary, popular, and influential. Influential, yeah, that's, that, yeah, yeah surely, yeah. Um, and I, I, I can't understand, I, I can't see what they... I can't see what future musical movement they influenced. I can't see what future political movement they influenced. Um, and I'm going to put forward a hypothesis here that the reason they are so legendary, um, and this harks back to an assertion I often make about popular culture, they were absolutely redundant the day they broke up. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that they, 
they broke up at the perfect time to, uh, you know, in, in January 1970, they, they, they broke up at the perfect time to round out an era. They never reformed. They produced no new music. Um, I don't think it hurt um, that one of their members came to a very tragic end mm-hmm. um, just about 10 years after they broke up, yeah. thus precluding the possibility of a breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this brings us round full circle to your question. Um, can you ever get too old for creative? Yeah, sure, you can get to, uh, you, you can, it's definitely possible to get to an age where you should really think about, how, think, think about hanging it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the people I admire, the, the, the aging musicians I most admire, um, and let's say someone like Steve Hackett from Genesis, who I wouldn't say has precisely made his pile, but instead of determinedly trying to stay relevant and determinedly bribing music journalists into um, dot, 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 with their best work yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, um, I think as recently as 2014, uh, there was a cover of fucking Mojo magazine, um, which earnestly expected us to swallow Bob Dylan is back with his best album yet. Yeah, really? Oh, yes. yes Serious. Of course. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the only kind of ageing rock star I've ever heard answer this question with any kind of deafness of touch was um, comedian John Robbins, who's a big Queen fan, was interviewing Brian May. um, And he said something to him like, um, you know, know, what would you consider to be, you know, your, your best, you know, guitar lick, you know, your best riff, something like that. And, and and Brian May, in his kind of uh, typical kind of down, downplayed, humble, yet confident way, said, you know, hopefully, and it's that word that's crucial. He said, hopefully, the the hopefully the the, the riff I, the riff I write tomorrow, which I thought was just absolutely lovely. What a great answer! Yeah, it's lovely, and you you get some people like that who who have the good grace to to seed the limelight. Mm-hmm. Um, to to um, to step away from any ambition of being famous or relevant, mm. um, and hopefully their hour in the sun has made them wealthy enough that they can afford to do this. And you know, they'll typically like buy a cottage in Wales and um, buy a best of breed eight track machine um, and a decent little desk, um, and they'll they'll gather some friends around them um, and they'll jam for a bit. And they'll do a limited release. This this obviously became much easier and much more possible once CD existed. Um, and you know the, the, they'll they'll do limited edition fan club fan club only releases or mail mail order only releases. Um, and I, I really admire people who can make peace with the fact that um, their fifteen minutes is over. Um, there are still a few hundred people in the country and a few thousand people in the world who will happily pay them a tenner a year. Yeah. So you know that the, they can, they can get a hundred grand a year. They can get fifty or a hundred grand a year. No record company involvement. Um, they um, probably they, they can probably stuff things in envelopes themselves and mail them out mm. um, in exchange for a twenty pound postal order. Um, and yeah, I mean they, they they can have a little cottage industry like that um, and probably make as much money as a bank manager. Not yeah. a bad life. Sure, sure. Um, those are the people who are they. They drop off my radar. There's only a couple of people like that whose careers I actually follow, um, but they definitely exist, and I really admire people like that. But you knew there had to be a but, didn't you? Um, 
even those people eventually get to the point where they're uh, where the word diehard fan sort of turns into a bit of a pejorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Doc, um, we've been waffling on now for the best part of 35 minutes and we haven't even mentioned the word Slayer. Do you think maybe we should well, get onto the track? What do you think? I know. Um, I'm going to wind up uh, this discussion topic by saying, um, honestly, um, if I was securing my income, I would make an album even if only one other person in the world wanted to listen to it. Sure, of course, yes. And, and we're all looking forward to the um, once-promised Robbie Williams death metal album. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Chow time, motherfuckers. Doc, you've got something for us, apparently. Um, it's not precisely um, a mistake. It, it, it's, it's a recapitulation. Uh, mm-hmm. One of these things that happens. Last episode we were mystified by the use of the the, the expression assassin um in the song we we, we we couldn't figure what to make of the word assassins uh-huh. completely coincidentally um i was re- rereading um a book on a completely different subject during the week and it was talking about the precise conflict which you which we'd alluded to um and i quote um recognizing that the indiscriminate carpet bombing of apparently civilian uh, targets was endangering the quote-unquote hearts and minds. Um, The CIA embarked on what became known as the Phoenix Program, which they claimed to be a program of targeted assassinations um, against known Viet Cong leaders, um, as opposed to the indiscriminate terrorization of the population. Ah, so so you're thinking maybe that's the source. Um, Yeah, so... Um, I inevitably did a bit of background reading on that. And since you mentioned First Blood, um, I think the inference we're meant to make is that that's the, um, that's the operation that um, on active service that, that, that John Rambo was involved in. Now, remind me, Doc, are we talking about mandatory suicide or ghosts of war? Ghosts of war. Yeah, oh, because it's that line, target assassinate, isn't it? Target assassinate, time yeah. of your life has expired. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's come back. It's come back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not so much as a correction, but um, we were struggling to make sense of that particular word last week. Yeah. And then I just happened to blunder it, like, wasn't even looking for it, and I blundered into a perfectly good explanation as to what that could be a reference to. There you oh, go. there we go. So we've got some elucidation. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slytanicvercast at gmail.com. Um, let's move on to part two. Welcome to part two of the show. You know the score by now. We're going to play the track and talk about it. Um, Today's track is, of course, track seven from South of Heaven, um, which is Read Between the Lies. Here we go. riff is an absolutely killer opening riff oh definitely um i mean it's um, for the past couple of weeks um i've felt the need to mention oh there's a bit of venom in there there's a bit yeah. of venom and I, I said it before and i'll say it again there's a bit of venom in there <laughs> um 
we can't start the Lombardo praise too early. Um, don't you love the way that having established his chops on the first half of the album, um, Dave is now perfectly comfortable to play like a grunting Neanderthal for the first few seconds of this track? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no flash here. You know, he, 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 he's just kind of driving it along. He, he, he may as well be kind of hitting two massive boulders with like turkey drumsticks. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> <is your bones>. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely great um I'm, I'm gonna let you into a little secret here now if memory serves correctly the chord progression that's used here is pretty much identical to angel of death um it's just the you know just 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 you know just kind of the the the, the, the what's not the word iteration the what, what cadence the cadence. Very good, very good. So the cadence is different. But, you know, basically, if you can play the opening riff to Angel of Death, you can play the opening riff to Read Between the Lies. Isn't that exciting? That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Let's press on. <laughs> of points to, to make there for me um i mean well i mean maybe three even um of course i do love it when when slayer do this kind of single picked melody underneath the verse and you know that, that's always a winner for me i like that change of key halfway through and you mentioned yeah. dave isn't he playing it basic here i mean that beat seems almost like comically simplistic for him well, I, um, I, I think it's the Venom tribute angle. Mm. Um, so um, we went, or I at least went on and on and on about the influence of Venom on that first album, probably more on the second album. Um, and then they laid off it almost completely in the third album. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're almost sort of like back in the company of old friends here. Um, mm. And um, once again, we're in the company of a bunch of people who are confident and competent enough to have nothing to prove here. Mm. And um, when you when you play when you play well, like Dave does all the time, you must occasionally get nostalgic for the older, simpler times when it was enough to just twat it and make a racket. Uh -huh. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. You know, the, 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 it's not just Dave. I think the whole thing feels kind of stripped back and simplified and, and, and kind of harkens back, really, to something off Show No Mercy. Um, you, you, I don't think they've played a song this simple since something like, you know, as awesome as, 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 awesome as it is, something like Black Magic. No, I think you're right. Um, so let's have a chat for a few minutes about why this might be. Mm. Um I mean, we can discount immediately the fact that it's because they can't play. No, thank you. That they've they've already had um, most of half an album demonstrating that they they can play whatever the hell they want. Yeah. So it's not that. Um, you must have had this experience um, yourself as you begin to progress as a musician and push yourself more and more and more. 
just occasionally something in your head will snap and go like, can't we just play something that, that's, that's, that's two and a half minutes long and has got one coordinate and lots of shouting? Yeah, can't, can't we just chug on E for a beat, for Christ's sake? Yeah. Um, that would be my favourite explanation as to what's going on here. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's perfectly plausible. Let, 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 let's see if they uh, develop things. <laughs> And that, that's an interesting riff for me for Slayer because it's it, I mean, it, it is really really discordant, isn't it? You know, and, and they're not playing a true power chord there. If memory serves, I haven't played this track in a while, but if memory serves, what they're doing is they are they're, they're, they're kind of tapping on on the A string one fret up from where the from where the finger is on the on the fat E string to make that horrible kind of discordant sound. Forgive me, listeners, if I've got that wrong. I haven't played it in a long time, but that, that kind of sounds like what they're doing. And you get that horrible kind of discord, and like, like you know, like 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 a, like a cat screeching, basically. Yeah, um, I think what they're doing is this, um, and um, I'll show off first. Um, then I'll abash myself and explain how I know. I think one guitar is playing a flat fifth chord, mm-hmm. um, and I think the other one is playing a diminished seventh. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I know this is because I once I, I once read a musicologist's commentary on the track, and I'm sure it's the track Dimension Hetros by Voivod. Fabulous. Um, the mighty Voivod. Yeah. Um, and that riff in that track clearly rips off this that we're listening to now, absolutely <laughs> blind. And according to the article I read, the guy listening to it was convinced that the one guitar part was playing a flat fifth and the other one was playing a diminished seventh. There you go. Um, there of you course, go. If, he'd been, if he'd been a proper musicologist, he wouldn't have called it a flat fifth. He'd have called it an augmented fourth. Oh, good, oh, good God. <laughs> the doctor's getting technical. Let's move on before, before I get confused. Here we go. I actually don't even know why I'm wasting my time listening to this 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 Slayer. Um, I think we should reboot the podcast and um, begin to cover the collective works of Yingyu Malmsteen from next week. <laughs> well, I mean that's too simple for my taste, Doc. But you you do whatever you want. And it, it, it's interesting to me because I got very animated during uh, uh, Behind the Cookie Cross because I, I was I was I was cross with Dave, ironically, um, you know, because of his because of his kind of bumptish beat, and he's kind of doing the same thing here, but he doesn't he doesn't vex me in the same way. Uh, I wonder why that is. Could could it be because it, it is kind of being driven along by that that single pick melody? Um, but. Everything like everything about behind the crooked cross was was wrong. Um, it's he's he's actually hitting the drums at the same time <laughs> in the song. Um, just just in case I fooled anyone anyone into thinking that I really know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the technical <laughs> aspects of musicianship, is hitting the drums with the same timing in the song. Very good, uh, good explanation. But behind the crooked cross, it. All sounds bumpkinish and twee, and it's 
just everything about it is wrong. Um, in this track, um, it sounds like Dave is making an effort to be, to like I said a few minutes ago, just to, to sound like a barbarian. Yeah, yeah and, and you know there is there is kind of darkness to the to the riffage as well. Um, so, it, so, so it kind of gets a pass from me. It's certainly not my favourite Dave performance by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't annoy me like like behind the crooked cross did. We're going to go into a really interesting passage here, Doc. See if you can spot. Well, I think this is. Well, I think this is pretty cool. Did you get it, Doc? What, what have you spotted? Um, well, I spotted three cool things, mm. at least. Um, number one, you can hear the bass. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, um, it's got what sounds to me like those lovely, um, almost harmonised, but not quite twin guitar whammy bar moments, and possibly even some harmonic feedback, mm-hmm. just for a second. Yeah. I am absolutely at a loss when it comes to TM the solo game. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go on, have it. Have a guess. Who, who do you think that was? Kerry King. That was that was Hanneman. Doc, that was Hanneman. <laughs> oh dear, 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 dear. Um, but the, the the thing that I really love, I, I think, it's the first time they've deployed this particular technique. Is that kind of mm. off tempo riff? Um, that kind of not off, not off tempo. So off, kind of off beat riff. Where where they kind of and 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 each repetition, I think the first one, I think the first one you chug five times before you before you play the little pattern, and the second one you play three, and then you go back to five, and then back to three, and it's just this weird kind of you know just off kilter. It just makes it sound strange, Doc. So I think what you're saying is that the track is clearly in four four. The, the, uh, the track is clearly but the riffs are being pl- are, are alternating between um, five four and three four. Correct. So you, to make the eight, you, you still get your eight beats every. T- uh, you, you still get your your eight beats in, but That's it's it. made up of five plus three instead of four plus four. That's very interesting. Correct. Yeah, and I don't think they've done anything like it before. I think this is the first time they've that they've done it, and I think I think it is pretty effective and it would go on to become a staple of technical death metal would it not oh so i mean certainly yeah well i mean in any combination of a yeah, strange timings i suppose but yeah but you know who knows you know maybe this was an influence well you know i, I couldn't say for sure um let's press on doc we've got about a minute and a half left <laughs> Truly believe that by giving you the savior's soul, could you be so naive? 
strange one, isn't it? Because I don't know. Is it really going anywhere? This track. It doesn't have. Right. This is something I'm deeply ambiguous about. Mm. Um, it doesn't have the forward dynamics that one has come to expect from Slayer. Um, on the other hand, it sounds a lot like the monotonous, repetitive drone rock, um, which is basically my uh, my my <laughs> um, my other love that dare not speak its name in in this particular project. Um, it reminds me of, let's say, something like fun, like something off Funhouse by the Stooges. would be primitive enough and this makes sense of the performances and it makes sense of the drumming as well um, stick keep keep that thought in your mind let's say something off that first Stooges album mm-hmm. um, where um, a band are not so accomplished that they really think they can come up with that many great riffs so when they come up with a good one they, they, they just decide they're going to play the hell out of it all the way through the whole entire song yeah you know i mean i mean more of a contemporary of slayer that, that, that are really guilty of this will be sacred reich you know i mean of all the thrash bands of that of that era sacred reich i mean if you listen to any, anything off the american way it's just it, it's one riff you know one riff then you've kind of got a middle eight and then they're back to that riff. Maybe there's maybe there's like a secondary riff for the chorus, but it it, it, it is so basic, um, you know, and, and very very limited in dynamic. Let's go back to the last thing I I, I mentioned Funhouse by the Stooges. Yeah. Um, Can you, um, the rhythmic texture you were talking about earlier on, um, isn't that the same rhythmic texture? I I, I know it's solo Iggy Pop, but isn't, isn't that the same rhythm that's in Lust for Life? You know, I'd, I'd have to hear the track again. Of course, I know the song, but I'd, I'd really have to hear the track again to be to, to, to have an opinion. Go back and check when, when you have a moment. Go and have a listen to it. Um, you will recognise that it's the track that's used in the title sequence of Train Spotting. Of course, yeah. Um, and the the rhythm is um, kind of like, um, like South American mambo. Uh, dun, mm. dun, 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 dun
and go back and have a look and tell me because I, I I think we've spotted an origin. I, I think we've spotted a source point mm. in this track. Mm. Um, I think we figured out what they're trying to do here, and and and, and that's logical, isn't it? Because I mean, uh, Jeff would certainly be influenced by the Stooges, wouldn't he? You would think, yeah, definitely. Think, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. Though. That's a really, really good spot. Should we play the track out? Yeah, let's. Here we go. There we go. That's track seven from South of Heaven, which is read between the lies. Um, I mean, Doc, I don't know about that one. To me, it really sounds like a track seven song. It, you know, I mean, does Slayer do filler? I'm not sure, but I mean, that, that, that's about as close as they get, isn't it? Um, I think we've detected a track seven as filler um, on nearly all Slayer releases so far. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we, we've we've detected um, that's unfair because um, filler by Slayer standards is a standout cut by the standards of many other bands. Well, let, let me let me hit, hit you with some titles. Uh, track seven on Sharon Mercer was Tormentor, which uh, I gave six and you gave no, you gave six and I gave seven too. So kind of you know fair to middling. Um, yeah, track seven on Hello H was actually the last track. Which was hardening of the arteries. You got eight, and I gave six too. So, ooh, I don't know if that can count as filler. Um, track seven on Raining Blood was Reborn. You gave five, and I gave. So again, you know, again, you know, quite in comparison to the other scores of the tracks on the album, yeah, we, we weren't impressed. So I think you've spotted a bit of a pattern there, Doc. Well, um, I think we also, I, I think we've mentioned this on each album we've covered, but. Halfway through side two is the obvious place to bury a weak track now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it really is, you uh, know, but it just never lifts off. I think there are some great riffs in there. I love the melody. You know, we, we, we'll get onto the onto the lyrics, and you know, I love the subject matter. Um, of, of Jesus Save Two, I mean, they might as well call it Jesus Save Two Electric Boogaloo, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but, but it just never quite gets going and I can't quite put my finger on why duck I'm annoyed um, well it doesn't quite get going because it's got no, like by Slayer standards it's got no dynamics mm. um, it picks um, so I mean it it makes uh, it, it makes perfect sense for anyone as steeped in um, Mary Chain or Loop or because uh, that's what they do all the time mm -hmm. um, you hit on the fact that you've got a killer riff and um, you you riff on it, yeah. Um, <laughs> you just play it. For me, it doesn't ruin that dynamic or that lack of dynamics doesn't ruin a song. Um, but it sounds odd coming from Slayer. Yes. Um, it jibes oddly with um, the Slayer sound and with the vocals. Um, 
it's a way of composing music. It's it's a style of musical progression that you are you sort of associate with something far more stoned. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, the, the band that springs to mind to, for me when I think about this kind of repetition, you know, just just play the same riff, almost like drone it out for five or six minutes would be some, something like like latter era killing joke, you know, like, like you know, like nineties period killing joke, something like that. Um, yeah. You know, like post-industrial, um, but, you know, with, with, with clear kind of metallic influences, but they'll just hit on one riff and, 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 and just with that kind of hypnotic beat that they put underneath, they, they, they carry the song, don't they? But Dave does not play hypnotic beats. And I think that's why it doesn't work. Doc. Um, yeah. I mean, you just put your point on it precisely. Um, if you're going to play that droning hypnotic rock, um, you've got to hit on a riff that's hypnotic, to, and, and and that one just isn't. No, no, it's not. Um, um, it's, it's such a shame because I, I, I really, really, really want to like this song, but I don't very much. It's weird, though, isn't it? Um, earlier on on this album, and a couple of times previously in their career, when Slayer feel like it, they they they, they can hit a pseudo doom stoner groove with no mm. problem at all, can't they? Sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, we certainly, we, well, I think we, we, we mentioned that for Jesus Saves. I can't remember the track for, um, in, in fact, it might have been Behind the Crooked Cross, funnily enough, we talked about that on this album. Um, Behind the Crooked Cross is the one that I sort of chalked up as um, retro all-American rock and roll. Yeah, but 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 I think like the opening section is is a bit it has a bit the of opening doom. section. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, if, if memory serves correctly. Um, what's your thoughts, Doc? I've kind of dominated this 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 bit so far. No, um, it's been very very interesting to be led by you um, on this because uh, it, it's 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 put a few ideas into my mind that I otherwise wouldn't have thought of. Basically, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think the vibe they're aiming for. Um, is that hypno groove thing? Mm. Um, so you mentioned Killing Joke. Uh, while you've been talking, the best single example I can think of this in anything of a vaguely metallic context, if you know the song, if, if you know Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction. I know Jane's addiction very well because an ex-girlfriend of mine was a massive fan, but I don't know, you know, not track titles, unfortunately. Right. Um, you'll, you'll know the song. It was one of their big hits. Yeah. And it, 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 it does that thing. Um, it just manages to hit on an absolutely um, like head nodding zone out. Um, there's no other word for it. Hypnotic. Um, when the track finishes, you have no idea whether the track has been on for four minutes or seven minutes or 20 minutes or how long yeah. the track's been on for. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, you're just getting that zone. Yeah. Um, and um, I think probably because of the personalities involved and maybe because of the expectation of styles, I, I don't think that's something that Slayer can pull off. No, no. It didn't work for me. It did not work for me, Doc. Um, 
anything else to say before we move on to the loose? Because I, I don't really feel like kind of keep kicking it, to be fair, but, you know, it's up to you. I don't think we're kicking it. I don't think it's... Um, I mean, kicking it would just be going, oh, I didn't like that. Uh, mm. um, I mean, I think we can give ourselves a tiny bit of credit that we've tried to understand it, and I think we have understood it, and mm. I think we've correctly understood what they were trying to do. Yeah. You warned... Um, before we started this album, you warned me um, that there were, uh, you, I think your explicit words were, you'll find quite a few interesting failures. Yeah, but uh, I, th I think from this point on, the album is nothing but experimentation. So, you know, we we'll discover over the next three, you know, the, the next three or four weeks, uh, you know, w w which experiments succeeded and which ones failed. Yeah, and I mean... Um, I would much rather hear a band fail for the want of trying than fail for the want of not trying. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to have to chalk it up as one of those interesting failures. Mm, mm, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that, Doc. I am with you. Uh, lyrics. Welcome to part three of the show. Here we're going to go through the lyrics and talk about them in general. First one. Evangelist, you claim God speaks through you. Your restless mouth, full of lies, gains popularity. You care not for the old that suffer when empty pockets cry from hunger, penniless from their generosity, sharing their money to quench your greed, searching for the answers to their prayers, they cry their last wish of need, save me. There we go, Doc. So, I mean, I said in the last part of the show, you know, this, this, they, they could have called this Jesus Saves 2 electric boogaloo. Was I wrong? <laughs> um, right. Um, I think this is a little, uh, this isn't merely having a bash at religion. This, this, mm. this isn't really taking broad strokes at religion in general now, is it? This, this is, I suppose, in common with a bit of a lyrical theme on this album. This is very specifically a bash at the, a, a very specific breed of um, right-wing Christian fundamentalism, isn't it? Yeah, and specifically it's televangelists, isn't it? Um, yes, well, a specific breed of whom televangelists are the most visible part. Do you um, not think it is exactly about those people? Because to me, I mean, that's my interpretation. It is those guys on the God Channel, you know, on stage, in the mega churches, making fucking millions from deluded, desperate, hopeless, helpless people. That, 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 yeah. That's why I think they're attacking you, Doc. The large scale televangel, the, the, the large scale evangelists for sure. Um, I think we. Uh, so I mean, uh, it would be great to get the opinion of someone who was around in these days and who could put us straight about this. I understand that, like being on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, we got to learn about those people largely from documentaries about televangelists in the US. Yeah. Um, the impression I get is that those people had been doing their wildly popular lives, they, they took advantage of, they took massive advantage of cable television when cable television became available. But even before that, um, they um, they had their, uh, there's 
Um, I'm confident about this. Um, there's a Neil Diamond song called Brother Love's Travelling Salvation Ship. Pretty much about the exact, but that's that sort of um, in 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 the days when he had to do everything live. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, at this point in history, television would have been the point where the most ambitious and the most venal um, and the already wealthiest of them would have been making their money. Um, but I, I I don't think that tradition came. I, I don't think the televangelist tradition came just out of nowhere. Um, I think it goes all the way back to, um, let's say. Billy Graham, um, who, for the record, my mom remembers visiting Raleigh Regis Church in the late 1950s. Oh, wow. How about that? Come to Raleigh, be converted. How yep. about that? <laughs> well, um, especially, especially since Blackheath folk are well known for being so generous with their money and being so easy to con. Yeah, well, and, 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 you know, and for people not from the black country, the doc's not talking about Blackheath in London there, by the way. <laughs> He's talking about a place where more mutants dwell. <laughs> um, and um, fundamentally where uh, people are so tight-fisted that the most dangerous thing that's likely to happen to their money is that they crush it to powder in their own <laughs> fists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the chance of getting somebody from Black East to give money to the fucking church. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's the Church of Greggs, you've got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Um, and then, you know, it's a tradition you can also trace back, um, and this is where it gets interesting to me, um, you can trace it right the way back to the very, very arse end of the vaudeville tradition um, in the post-war period, um, when a bunch of people who, who were, up until the outbreak of television, had been travelling carnies, mm -hmm. um, and when the carnival business and circus sideshows and freak shows, you know, deformed people in freak shows and um, fat strippers, weren't so much of a pull as they used to have been. Mm. A ton of those people turned to God mm -hmm. as a way of bilking many other people now that they couldn't do their roll up, roll up, roll up, uh, throw a ball and win $10. Oh, yes, of course. That, yeah. that, that, that they're the exact same people. Um, they used to be cheap carnival hucksters. And then when the bottom dropped out of the carnival business, um, they decided that God was an even more profitable mm. um, scam. Yeah. I've often wondered... You know how easy it would be to, to like, like, like to become like an on-stage life guru. You know, like aspirational speaker type person. Because in my mind, they're all kind of of the same ilk, basically. You know, kind of stripping people of of money for very little reason, um, based on spectacle, and you know, and pers like cult of personality, really. Right, so we're getting right to the crux of it now, um, yeah. and we're getting to a figure and a political movement which is absolutely essential um, to the band we're discussing at the moment. Um, one of the characters who was an unabashed carnival huckster, um, he pretty much ran away from home and joined, and, and, and joined the circus um, at age 16. Um, 
not because he had a particularly bad home life, um, but just because he fancied like having the thrill of being a bit of an outlaw for a few years and living on the fringes and seeing if he could live on his wits. And it turns out he could. Um, and he was a carny pitchman for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, he decided to become, um, I, I don't know if this is the person who is in your mind, but he became in equal parts life coach, inspirational speaker and religious leader and also um, philosopher. And the person I'm talking about is quite obviously Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church sure. of Satan. Yes, of course. Uh-huh. Um, and I, um, his influence hasn't always been that great, but I love Anton LaVey for a whole bunch of reasons, um, which is that he formed a religion to mock religion. Mm-hmm. Um, he formed a religion which superficially worships the devil, um, but actually inculcates nothing but self-esteem um, in its own followers. Um, and he's most... If there's a central tenet to um, Levee and Satanism, um, it is... Um, Consent to being conned because sometimes it's fun, but make sure you consent to it and make sure you know when it's happening to you. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so effectively, um, if you want to have a sexual adventure or if you want to go out and spend a ton of money for a night on the town, or if you want to buy something stupidly expensive, make peace with the fact that you are consenting to being conned. You're mm-hmm. going to be fleeced. Um, you're going to be handing over money, hand over fist, and just make peace with yourself that this is happening to you. Um, And be very, very square in your own mind um, that this is not for real. Um, That person doesn't love you. um, Or you're not getting, you're getting what you think you're getting out of this experience, but that is all. Um, There's nothing wrong with being lied to um, as long as you're honest with yourself about the fact that you're consenting to being conned. Yes, it makes me think of, uh, uh, it makes me think of, you know, the men, very rich men who kind of pay women to, to, you know, to live with them and kind of be their living girlfriend, you know, for the girlfriend yeah. experience, you know, to, to kind of pay them, you know, a reason, you know, reasonably good salary, I suppose, you know, to, for, for, you know, I mean, to be blunt for constant access to their they kind of pussy delights. I don't know how to say it, Doc. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. Well, no. And I mean, there's um, the peculiar thing is that you you start talking about things like this, and then the discussion takes you in some political directions that you wouldn't expect it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. What you've said, um, there are some people who don't think very carefully, and I'm sure there are some people who would have said that what you just said verges on misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, in fact, precisely the opinion expressed by um, well-known radical feminist thinker Andrea Dworkin um, when she famously said that um, mar- uh, um, that uh, marriage is legitimated prostitution. Sure. When, once you start thinking about this stuff, you will find very, very odd connections. Um, there is another very, very, very odd connection that Andrea Dworkin and her good friend Catherine McKinnon shamelessly got into bed with the Christian right when they were trying to get their law passed to identify pornography as hate speech. Well, it, it seems to me uh, that it, it seems to me that, you know, people on any extreme are happy to, you know, to 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 make peace with 
any other extremist, no matter the hypocrisy, if it serves their agenda. Well, there's there's this fallacy, isn't that my my, uh, my enemy's enemy is my friend? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear that repeated a lot. Of course. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, even if you think about the most famous line from the most famous lines from outlaw novels like um, Three Musketeers or Robin Hood or something, and people are always saying one for all and all for one. And I've got no doubt that when um, when you have a common enemy. Um, you certainly can make short time and short term and maybe profitable alliances between groups that you have absolutely nothing in common with, um, and you'll you'll see it in African independence movements all over the place um, to kick the colonists out. Tribes that hate each other like poison will band together, mm-hmm. um, and then once the colonists have been successfully kicked out, then they'll go back to their civil wars. And I mean, you'll you'll you'll, you'll see it all over. Um, formerly colonial parts of the world. Yes, you. I mean, you know, you know, I would even make peace with a with a with, you know with a Birmingham City fan if Spurs were in town, Doc. Can you imagine such a thing? <laughs> <coughs> but then, what would happen after the pubs shut? I know. And, I know. Um, and. Um, when you're on the fringes of activist politics, um, that metaphorical shutting of the pubs happens all the time. Ah, Doc, shall we move on to the second verse? What do we think? And, and delve a bit deeper. Yes. His spirit lives and breathes in me, the Almighty transformed to your screen, the meanings lost in its translation, no holy words describe his deception, you say you'll help us find the Lord, tell me preacher how do you know, a simple quest for a visible saviour to lead us through our final prayer, oh what a nasty force rhyme at the end there, blimey, <laughs> yeah, here we go doc, but I mean, I mean, here for me is just absolute affirmation that this is talking specifically about televangelists, the, the almighty transformed to your screen. Get out of that one, Doc. Um, I can't get out of it. Ah. Um, you're right. I back down. Um, I <laughs> just I, I, I just sort of needed a pretext to talk about Anton LaVey for a bit. Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know for me this is a tough track to actually talk about because the meaning of it is so blindingly obvious you know um you know i find it difficult to to, to find interesting or in you know enlightening things to, to to say about it you know best of luck doc off you go the song isn't just necessarily offer a great many possibilities. I suppose the really intriguing thing about it for me is that it's a document of a period in history yeah. that, and as we were talking about last week in this project and another project as well, um, quite recent history can, in political terms, seem like a really, really long time ago. Mm. If you watch televangelism now, um, you find yourself scratching your head and wondering how simple 
and childlike and badly educated, people had to be to swallow that even for a minute. Don't you think this stuff still happens, you know, kind of in the American Midwest, in the Bible Belt? People are still swallowing this shit hook, line and sinker, aren't they? These motherfuckers are richer than they've ever been, aren't they, Doc? So I don't know what the modern face of televangelism looks like, mm. um, along with everything else, I, uh, uh, along with my, my very sketchy understanding of both things. Um, I sort of imagine everything's on Twitter nowadays. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, my understanding is, you know, you have the you have these mega churches, you know, where you're getting like three, four, five thousand people going. It's like a, it, it is like, you know, like 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 a provincial town football stadium of people just adoring these, you know, the, 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 these people on stage spouting their nonsense and, and, and chucking all their money at them. It, 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 you know, it, it, I, I'm, I am going to find it difficult not to get irritated as we, as, as, as we as we talk about these lyrics because these people are so utterly despicable, such fucking vampires and leeches. I, you know, I, I do find it hard to contain my emotions, Doc. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's some interesting stuff going along here. Um, I suspect that um, there was a, a wealth of fundamentalist Christian material um in the period of history that I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm not the first person to uh to come up with this phrase but i'm going to deploy it here and i really do hope i invented it i'm going to call it the metal wars mm-hmm. um during the metal wars of the mid 80s yeah. uh, and i believe there was a wealth of fundamentalist christian material um deriding and criticizing the pathetic simple-minded heavy metal fans who would go along to um the rock concert Mm-hmm. Um, and blindly adore um, these creatures on the stage who are clearly going to lead them to Satan. Yeah. Always been obvious to me that metal fans in particular have displayed far less patience and far more critical faculty than, ooh, I don't know, fundamentalist Christians yeah. have mm-hmm. when it comes to who they should blindly worship and adore. Um, I've got a question for you. Is this a movie that actually exists, or is this a synopsis for a movie that we decided we were going to write after we'd probably drunk too much one Friday <laughs> evening? And the, story, the, the, the plot goes something like this. The second coming actually occurs. Jesus really does reappear. Some Christian fundamentalists get wind of this, and they hatch a plot that what they're going to have to do is kidnap Jesus and dispose of him quietly, or at least keep him out of the way, for, because if Jesus ever actually appears um, for reals mm. um, in front of people um, and starts preaching himself, then all of those people are out of business. Well, it, 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 it's totally plausible. I don't, I don't remember that, but it, but it sounds like the kind of uh, you know kind of six points of Banks's deep conversation we'd have had. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in <coughs> somewhere in Wolverhampton at, at, at some point. Um, so it, it's perfectly plausible. I've had actual kind of personal dealings with one of these people. I can't remember her name. I really wish I could. Um, I watched um, one of these televangelists uh, performances and found her website and she was selling uh, CDs of her performances for something like $30, you know, quite expensive for just a a piece of fucking shiny plastic. Um, 
and I contacted her and and and, and kind of I, I made up a sob story that I was you know you know some, some kind of desperate soul who really believed in her but I, I just couldn't afford the thirty dollars so could she send me the CD um I mean of course I was just kind of fishing for for the response um she responded. You mean you didn't want the CD? You mean you didn't want the CD? I didn't want it, Doc. And um, she replied saying, you know, oh, you know, the, you know, the Lord, the Lord has bloody plans for us all and all, all, all of the usual nonsense. Um, and I, I, I contacted her like two, two or three, maybe four times. Never offensive, just, just kind of repeating the story, just saying, look, please, you know, I'm desperate. Your words are so powerful to me. And, you know, the, on the third or fourth occasion, her response was, you know, cease and desist, cease and desist from contacting me. Otherwise, I will, um, you know, it, it, bring the powers of law enforcement down upon you. It's the Christian spirit, Doc. Really, really wonderful. Heartwarming. Oh, absolutely. Um, I bet you um, you could probably read the section of the Gospel of Matthew um, concerning Jesus's ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and that is precisely how Jesus would advise his um, uh, his followers and his uh, his disciples to deal with the poor and the meek and the downtrodden. Mm. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, they're just despicable. Doc, let's get on with, to the next verse because I'm going to get upset otherwise. <laughs> Send your donations, contribute to the cause, luxuries, your righteous reward. Praise the Lord, praise God, is what you wish to sell. There is no heaven without a hell. It's more of the same, isn't it, Doc, really? You know, like I say, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to really analyse these lyrics because... It's 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 just telling the same stage. It's a repetition of a theme. Yeah. Um, so shall I go on? Please do. In your mind's eye, could you truly believe that by giving you can save your soul? Could you be so naive to heal the sick, raise the dead? You blind the congregation with the things you say. Religious blackmail, the deceit of trust that death will come and all will be lost. Can you hear the serpent's call? Look deep in those deceiving eyes. Ignore the writing on the wall. You should read between the lies. And now it's getting interesting, Doc. Tell me why. It's getting very interesting. Um, so um, it's been absent for a while, um, well, since the last song, actually. Mm. But suddenly, um, the Slayer cosmology reasserts oh, itself. Where, where can you see the, the Slayer cosmology here? Can you hear the serpent's call look deep in those deceiving eyes? Um, can you hear the serpent's In fact, I hoped... I really, really hoped, I really hoped the next, when I was listening to this, to, um, to review it, I really hoped the couplet was going to be, 
can you hear the serpent's call deep in those deceiving eyes? Ignore the writing on the wall. Satan is behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah. that. I wanted that to be the next slide. I really want. Um, so, <clears throat> um, the serpent is the tempter. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Um, eat, eat the apple Eve. For, eat the apple Eve. Basically, it, it, it's that guy. Yeah. Um, the um, the force of carnality and venality um, behind everything. Mm -hmm. I think this is an, a pretty explicit identification with televangelists as being literally spiritually evil. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you can't have a line like, Religious blackmail, a deceit of trust, however clumsy the syntax is, mm -hmm. that death will come and all will be lost. Mm -hmm. now, my take on this couplet is, um, well, of course there's no afterlife. It doesn't matter how much you pay the televangelist, uh, you'll die and rot. My interpretation is that they are literally suggesting that that character on stage is the embodiment of, of Satan on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, we're, um, I think we're in agreement, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if, if we backtrack, um, so in your minds, I can truly believe that by giving, you can save yourself. Um, throughout the New Testament, um, Jesus is pretty adamant about the fact that um, uh, sort of pay, paying, for, pay, paying for stuff ain't going to get you out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a fascinating reference I came across quite recently about one of the reasons the religious establishment um, turned against Jesus um, so violently um, is because he was offering people um, a God for free. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in religion up until that point if you wanted a god you had to pay for one sure yeah so yes absolutely yeah mm -hmm. this is you know the, um, the, 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 the the same fear that o2 have about elon musk's plan to encircle the earth with free wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> um oh god um <laughs> Oh God, no! I'll 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 do this another time. I was going to say, we, we, we're already we're already approaching hour and a half. Come on, don't get started on Elon Musk. Um, I I I just want to then at some point I'm going to have to talk about uh, Nikolai Tesla's plan to cover Manhattan with a giant thundercloud as a way of providing free electricity to the masses as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what we'll do is. Um, we'll skip quite quickly through the last verse. And by the end of the last verse, um, I am going to say that my assertion has been verified. Would you do Here that for go. me, please? When doubt subsides is honesty, an inquiry, is it blasphemy? Impure the soul that's made to suffer. No sermons left to hide or cover. An empty promise lie unfulfilled. To steal a dream or get it killed. They claim your trip to heavens nearby. You may believe it, but Satan won't lie. Um, I mean, it's all a bit 
you know, like A level student level poetry going on here, isn't it, Doc? It's all a bit A level student poetry, but um, is it not a completely legitimate means to attack simple minded crudity with simple minded crudity? That's, a, that's an interesting point, isn't it? You kind of, yes, you kind of, yeah, you, you attack your enemy with, with, the, with the same weapon that they use. Yeah. Because that, that's yeah, what we understand. Yeah. Any attempt at any attempt at subtlety is just going to be lost on these people. If you try to reason with these people, um, they think you're a goddamn heretic and probably an atheist. Mm. Um, if you try mm. and get intellectual with these people, um, they'll think you're probably homosexual and you probably love the French. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm both, so that's okay. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean the only. If you're a nail, the only thing you recognise is a hammer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's an absolutely terrible line here. An empty promise lie unfulfilled to steal a dream or get it killed. What the fuck are they talking about? There's a beautiful bipolarity in the construction of these lyrics because... <laughs> Earlier on, we're in like WH Auden free verse territory without any attempt at rhyming or rhyme scheme or anything like that. And then by the time you get to the end, you get moments of just sublime beauty. Um, and, you know, to think Keats died for this mm -hmm. <laughs> an empty promise, lion fulfilled to steal a dream or get it killed. <laughs> it's so bad, isn't it? It's, it's so terrible. <laughs> we've, we've got a rare direct reference to Satan here in the last line, though. Well, we've commented before, I think, that Slayer don't often invoke the word Satan, do they? You know, they do from time to time, but it's not. The, the image they have, you, you think they would come to Satan this and Satan that in the same same way that some people have fucked this and fucked that, you know, but but they're not. And so here it is. Here, he, he raises his ugly, horned head. Um, so I think this is done for two reasons. First of all, Slayer don't talk about Satan very much, but televangelists talk about Satan mm -hmm. all the fucking time. Sure, they seem obsessed by that almost. I think televangelists probably talk about Satan more than Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Despite yeah. the fact that Satan isn't actually in the Bible, but never mind. Mm. Um, yes, it, it is. In, um, in the same way that they, that, you know, that, that, that they bang on about homosexuality almost as if they were actually interested in it, Doc. Um, I believe it was... I believe it was Andrew Collins um, who actually said this when um, he, he made a reference to, um, despite their superficial homophobia, how come sun readers appear so obsessively interested in the actual mechanics of anal sex? <laughs> Very good, yeah. The second reference to Andrew Collins this episode, by the way. Um, that means I've now got to get another uh, reference to anal sex and before the end of the episode. <laughs> Anything um, else in the lyrics, stuff? Because we, we are running long at the moment. Yeah, so uh, the, these these are turning out to be hard to penetrate. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's there's a couple of things that I, I've, I've really sort of got to get both thumbs into to separate and really get inside here. Yeah. Um, so um, the only thing I could have really got to say to... to um, really round up these lyrics is the explicit invocation of Satan 
Um, Slayer don't talk about Satan very much, not nearly as much as Christians apparently do. Um, mm. And mm -hmm. then loop all the way back around to my Anton LaVey inference um, from earlier on. Um, and I mean, not a great piece of subtlety, um, but then uh, the crudity and lack of subtlety of the lyrics precisely fit the crudity and lack of subtlety of the music now, don't they? Well, the, the, that was going to be my point, actually, Doc. You know, in, in a strange kind of way, the lyrics echo the track because the track yeah. has got some great ideas. There are some, some great little moments and riffs in there, but it just never quite lifts off. It doesn't seem to have that kind of special source that most Slayer tracks have. And I think we've got the same problem here in the lyrics. Pretty much. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement. We're done, aren't we, Doc, with the lyrics? Shall we get on to the end? Yeah, yeah that's the end. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to give you our final oh. thoughts and summations. Go on, Doc. I was just going to say, well, bugger me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, bugger the doc. Bugger, yeah, exactly. Bugger him and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. Um, before we do that, as usual, some details, writing credits, music. I'm really surprised by this. Music is by Jeff Hanneman alone. I have, I, honestly, I, I, I was very, very surprised. Um, and lyrics, it, uh, I was not surprised by this. Lyrics, Araya <laughs> and King. <laughs> I was not. And my, my suggestion to you, Doc, Tom Araya wrote the first half. Kerry King definitely wrote the second half of that track, didn't he? <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, he, de he definitely wrote the line, an empty promise lie unfulfilled, to steal a dream or get it killed. Only Kerry <laughs> could write that line. Um, <laughs> according to Setlist, this track was played a paltry 78 times, putting it in 69th position. Um, not even slightly surprised in fact the only surprise is they played it that many times to me um because I, I can imagine that would suck the fucking life out of any gig you'd think wouldn't you i mean uh, and my guess would be it would, it would probably only take half a dozen reps to realize that it was doing exactly that yeah yeah i mean you you, you know you think think of, think of the back catalog they've got even at this point you know, they've got, they've probably got 20 absolute energetic slammers and they're going to choose to play this. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> first played as usual for this album, Tacoma Dome on August the 8th. Um, I think, I think all but one tracks of this album, that was their first play. Um, and the last play was at something called the Moda Hall in Osaka. And that was on December the 13th, 1990. Have you heard of that place, Doc? Moda Hall? I have not. Ah, M-O-D-A Hall. Um, according to Loudwire, um, oh, and, and in, their, in their classification, this comes in in 45th position, which I feel is pretty high, to be honest. Um, this oft-overlooked mid-tempo gem from the South of Heaven LP probably gets lost in the shuffle for being the umpteenth Slayer song that takes religious authorities to task for twisting the gospel to achieve their own selfish agendas. Specifically, the song accuses them of sell selling salvation to pad their own pockets. In quotes, send your, send your donations, contribute to the cause, 
luxury is your righteous reward, end quote. Somewhat lost behind these strong, these strong words is an even stronger display of alternating and counterpoint riffs showcasing Jeff Hanneman's infinite imagination. Now, I disagree with absolutely everything apart from the reference to the counterpoint riff, which is, you know, that riff that I was talking about at the beginning, which is five and three. Um, but the idea that this is, well, I've got a few problems here, Doc. Um, describing it as an overlooked gem, I find very, very surprising because I, I don't think this, I don't know, it's not even close to a gem, is it? I don't think so, no. Um, um, and, um, it, it's in a fairly prominent position, a very well-known album. I don't think you could really call it overlooked either. No. Then they say the umpteenth Slayer song that takes religious authorities to task. I think this is the second track that does that so far, which is Jesus Saves yes. and then this one. So I don't know what they're talking about there. Um, so, no, I don't know what they're on about. Um, <clears throat> final thoughts, Doc? Or uh, Have we said enough? What do you reckon? Yeah, um, I mean, it's... Um, I really I really dislike to end so non-committally, but um, I'm afraid I've got very, very little to say beyond, well... Um, Mayor, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, um, it was a Slayer song. What more can you say? Yeah, yeah. No, Slayer no. played a song. <laughs> yeah, Slayer played played a song. I'm I'm pretty similar to you, Doc. You know, to, it, it is just a mm, kind of moment. Um, it doesn't doesn't live long in the memory. Never really gets going. No, not bothered. Um, do, do you want to pronounce? The best I can do, and this might be like the ultimate damnation by faint praise, um, four and a half. Ah, we've never, I don't think we've ever given a half point before, Doc. You're breaking new ground. Every episode, oh, Doc, I can rely on you to, it's all right. If you want to give it four and a half, Doc, you, you, that, 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 that's your free choice. I'll say five, then. It's really not that important to me. <laughs> five? All right, um, well. It's only, it's only this track. I was on an R-ring. But I'd already come down before you even said it. I'm giving it five as well because it's not it's not bad, is it? It's not terrible. It's just right there in the middle. So yeah, that's it. I think um, whew, a bit of a downbeat ending. But what can we do? We can only react to the to the to the tracks that Slayer give us. Can't we? It's not our fault. Blame Slayer. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm sure the Christian evangelists would blame, would blame Slayer. I'm sure they would. Um, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slaytanicbearcast at gmail.com or for the perverts, you can go to Facebook at Vercast as well. Join us next time when we will be discussing the eighth track from South of Heaven, which is, of course, Cleanse the Soul. You're going to be there, Doc. Of course I am. I'll see you then. Take care.